Welcome to the discussion, What Zero Trust Means for the Federal Government, sponsored by AppGate. Here's today's moderator, Tom Temin. Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guest today is Jason Garbus. He's the Chief Product Officer for AppGate. Jason, good to have you with us today. Great to be here, Tom, thanks. And our topic is zero trust. And of course, zero trust is on a lot of lips of many federal agencies. Certainly the White House has mandated zero trust in some form or another in the executive order on cybersecurity, which came out earlier in the spring. So let's start with a little definition of terms from AppGate's standpoint. When we talk about zero trust, what do you mean by it? So zero trust, it can mean a lot of things. I'm glad that we're, I'm glad we're starting with this. Um, so zero trust is really a security philosophy and approach that's uh, built on a few core principles. So number one, ensuring that all access for all users is secured and managed and driven by a set of dynamic and context sensitive access policies. Um, number two, um, zero trust requires that organizations have a strong uh, identity system um, and a clear picture of the types of resources that users need to access. Uh, and number three, that organizations monitor and manage all access for users. So you take all those things together and you build upon the foundations that we have in place around uh, security best practices and approaches, identity management, endpoint management, things like that. You end up with a really rich view of how organizations should approach security uh, that lends itself really well to a variety of different architectures. So that's kind of a lot, and that's one of the reasons why there's a lot of activity going on, especially in the federal government, around putting some clarity for this and defining how, uh, how federal agencies should use and implement different architectures. And you mentioned a lot of element, a dynamic and context-sensitive uh, access policy, strong ID system, monitoring and reporting to, to management and to the IT staff. How do you integrate all of this? It sounds like a lot to bring in, easy to say, but hard to turn into something. Yes, and that's one of the reasons that the key, one of the key requirements for zero trust systems uh, as federal agencies and even, even private sector agencies look at implementing this is how can it be integrated into existing elements of their IT and security infrastructure? I think that organizations need to look at what are both the, the inbound and the outbound APIs, what's the event model that allows these systems to be very, in a very straightforward and meaningful way, tied into their existing infrastructure. And some of this is very, very straightforward and there's great uh, widely adopted industry standards around this, like identity management and authentication. Right? There's LDAP, which is a little bit old, but still in wide use. There's newer authentication standards like SAML and OpenID Connect. And all of those make for very, very easy for organizations to take their enterprise identity management system and have their users authenticate into that through a zero trust system. There's other areas that are not yet standardized. So things like, I'll give you a great example, integrating with a help desk. In many cases, uh, organizations want to control access to resources based on the existence or status of a help desk ticket. That's a business process. And there's no defined or standardized integration between a help desk and a zero trust system. But yet, it's still a really important integration that platforms need to provide and that <clears throat> organizations that are looking to implement zero trust should look for. Interesting, and I wanted to ask you a little bit about the ID system because for many agencies, even in the cloud era, the Active Directory is still the main repository of ID information for employees or possibly even other people from outside that interact as if they were employees. I'm talking about contractors on site. Mm -hmm. And so 
is Active Directory still part of what you integrate in here? Does that still matter uh, in a zero trust sense? Is it up to the task, I guess I'm asking? Yeah, it is. So Active Directory, kind of the classic Active Directory, if you will, is Microsoft product that's deployed on-premises and managed by the enterprise. And what Microsoft has done is they've given organizations a pathway to move up to a, a cloud-based system. So they have, you can run Active Directory up in the cloud, uh, or you could utilize what was called Azure AD, which is uh, basically Microsoft managed cloud-based version of that. In all cases, functionally, it serves the same purpose, which is a repository for identities, a mechanism for authenticating, and uh, uh, a storage area for mapping and controlling groups and role memberships. And the way that the reason that's important is not just, of course, for authentication and for lifecycle management, but for taking those attributes and group memberships and tying them into zero trust access policies, which is kind of the, the, the foundation of how organizations should be approaching zero trust. If you're in a directory group called you know, marketing, you should probably be allowed to get access to resources that are tagged as marketing. If I'm not in marketing, if I'm in engineering, I shouldn't get access to resources that are tagged as marketing. And the idea of zero trust, though, seems to indicate a slightly more fine-grained approach to that. So even everyone within marketing, for example, wouldn't be able to access what the chief marketing officer, for example, could access. Yes. Or that person might be able to access things outside of marketing, whereas the people below him or her could only access what's in marketing, that type of thing. Exactly. And, that and that's one of the reasons that zero trust, we often talk about a zero trust journey, which is that organizations, as they get these capabilities in place, <clears throat> want and need to start to enforce finer and finer grain policies. So very clearly, it's everyone in marketing shouldn't get access to exactly the same things. There's probably some resources that everyone in marketing should access, and then some things that are going to be segregated even further by role. And the core of Zero Trust is also utilizing context around an individual user and their device, geolocation, for example, the status of their security posture on that device, and all those things are inputs or ingredients into the policy engine that then looks at this and says, okay, Tom is working from home today, and he's on a BYOD, but it has a corporate certificate. Sounds pretty good, we'll probably let him in and get access to this, but you know what, he's trying to access this higher value resource. We want to enforce step-up authentication because he's, he's, you know, there's a number of factors that go into that consideration. And the implication here I'm get gathering is that you need some automation to be able to have this happen because in an organization of, say, a large federal agency with 100, 200,000 people, there's no way you can fine tune this thing day by day, hour by hour, which it actually has to have, though. That's right. That's right. And that's um, another really important differentiator between the philosophy and the, the approach that, that organizations are taking with Zero Trust and we'll call it pretty traditional security solutions. So if you look at something like a VPN, for example, VPNs are very static and they tend to uh, be implemented in a way that grant users very, very broad network access. And that's a big problem. We've seen you know, time and time again that adversaries are able to take advantage of that. And the dynamic nature of zero trust combined with the fine-grained access can result in a very resilient organization and much, much better security but it has to be associated with the automated capability of the system to adapt because manual systems and manual processes clearly are not going to be able to keep up with the scale and the speed that we need today. And even within a given set of permissions, there must be some dynamism. I'm thinking, for example, I have access here to a certain drive, to a sales drive, even though I'm not 
in the sales department, but I need the access, so I have it through the VPN. But I only go to the same subdirectory over and over and over again every single time. If I, as a user, suddenly started rooting through all of the other subdirectories and users that I have access to, could a system flag that and say, wait a minute, this is an anomaly, even for someone with root permissions in that particular directory, that the system could account for that in a zero trust way and say, you know, stop it until someone can check it out. It's, <clears throat> that's a great example uh, and, and a great scenario. It's, there's very clearly uh, multiple components and multiple functions that make up an enterprise security model. And zero trust is broad enough to inc incorporate much of that in, in, into its architecture and its approach. Uh, and there's also recognition that to do something like that requires integration across multiple vendor solutions. And that's okay, right? Organizations understand that they're going to need to tie these things together. And I think it's, it's incumbent upon us as an industry to make it easier to do that. So the scenario mentioned is a terrific one because you could imagine that you or maybe some malware on your device <clears throat> starts doing something anomalous and starting to enumerate all of these subdirectories where you've never visited before. Clearly, maybe your networking system or your endpoint management system um, or some other element of the system should probably flag this as anomalous and something should happen as a result. Maybe someone, some human being gets an alert. Probably what should also happen is the zero trust system should get notified of this and do something. Maybe it warns you, maybe it blocks that network access temporarily until it gets resolved. But the key is now you have this, this, this nervous system, if you will, which can respond to this and take action in a way that's not destructive because you're not you know, removed from the network permanently, but you have a temporary blockage taking place until there's uh, some investigation that can take place and evaluate, okay, is this allowed or is something really malicious happening? We'll see if I can get into that drive the next there time I go. try, sure. And um, that gets to your third point though, which is the organizational monitoring and management. At some point, an alert has to be for a real human being in order to intervene if that's necessary. And that's part of that third point there of, of the uh, management and governance of the whole zero trust. It is, and one of the biggest problems, of course, that security and network operation centers have is the signal to noise ratio. And a lot of what zero trust does is by enforcing the principle of least privilege and restricting users' network access to the absolute minimum, it makes it so that there's very little noise on the network. And if, if unexpected activity or attempted unexpected activity happens, that's a pretty clear signal that something malicious is happening that should be investigated. And how is zero trust, as we've described it, different from earlier approaches, such as the uh, Defense Department's Comply to Connect, C2C, other things we've had deployed over the years and decades, really? So zero trust is, uh, really builds on some solid foundations that have been put in place over the past few years and even over the past few decades. It's, zero Trust is not about <clears throat> throwing away anything, well, maybe throw away your VPN, but not about throwing away wholesale, you know, well-run and uh, valuable components, like Comply to Connect is a great example of that. Um, that has value, less value now in a, in a world where people are remote, uh, but it doesn't mean that it should be gotten rid of. What Zero Trust is all about is, is taking together and integrating with all of these elements of a security and ecosystem and bringing forward, forward the ones that make sense to bring forward, um, getting rid of the ones that, do, that don't, or at least diminishing the friction that they cause, and then tying this together in a unified policy model that works uh, uh, in, a, in a 
unified way, regardless of whether a user is in an office today or working from home, and regardless of whether the resources that they're trying to access is in a government-managed data center or up in a cloud environment. That is um, what I think is different about Zero Trust, is it takes, from the start, a holistic, unified approach to help simplify security configuration and security operations. And aside from the executive order, why now for the federal government? I would say that the stakes have never been higher and the threat landscape has never been worse. And we clearly see that both on the, on the government side and the private sector side. Um, it's terrific, it, from my perspective, to see the type of leadership that the federal government has taken. If you look at the zero trust work that's coming out of NIST and OMB and CISA and DHS, um, they've really done a lot to uh, promote this approach uh, and to take a, a very open uh, approach to this, soliciting feedback from the public and, you know, and adapting and listening. All right, we're going to get into some more detail on federal implementation. Right now, we're going to take a short break. My guest today is Jason Garbus. He's the Chief Product Officer for AppGate. I'm Tom Temin. This discussion is what zero trust means for the federal government, sponsored by AppGate here on Federal News Network. With cyber warfare intensifying, zero trust is a federal mandate. Accelerate your mission with AppGate SDP, a Forrester 2021 Zero Trust Network Access New Wave Leader. Deliver secure, frictionless access for all users to multi-cloud, on-prem, IT, and OT resources. Become undiscoverable to threat actors, halt lateral movement, and unify policy enforcement across hybrid federal ecosystems. Learn how AppGate delivers zero trust without disrupting operations at appgate.com federal. Welcome back to our discussion, What Zero Trust Means for the Federal Government, sponsored by AppGate here on Federal News Network. My guest today is Jason Garbus, the Chief Product Officer for AppGate. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. And Jason, let's talk about the federal government. That's our subject today. And tell us what you see going on with respect to Zero Trust, the scene. What does it look like across the federal government? They're all talking about it. What are they doing? So the, the, the U.S. federal government has done a lot around zero trust and promoting a zero trust approach to security over the past few years. It really started uh, most recently with NIST's publication uh, 802.07, which put in place a discussion of zero trust principles and a zero trust architecture. And um, since then, that's really kicked off a number of very active um, activities inside the federal government, culminating uh, pretty recently with the Department of Defense zero trust reference architecture uh, the president's executive order on cybersecurity in May of this year, and then just over the last couple of weeks, three related documents that were published. The OMB published a zero trust strategy for federal agencies, um, and CISA published a zero trust maturity model and a cloud security technical reference architecture. And there's there's a lot of substance there, and uh, the core of this is around providing federal agencies and departments, and as a secondary. Uh, secondary audience, private sector, a, a structured way to meet the mandate that was put in place in the executive order, saying in 30 days organizations need to put in place a plan, and in 60 or 90 days they need to have architectures in place. And what I really like about this is, number one, how much effort the federal government has taken and how much uh, impact they've really had on the market. I mean, I talk to not just federal customers, but enterprise customers and customers in other countries, and they've really taken this to heart as well, <clears throat> um, looking at the federal government as a thought leader around the world. What, um, what I like about 
what these documents do is they really are recommending an incremental approach. And they're putting in place recommendations, for example, that say departments and agencies need to have a pilot program in the next month or so to <clears throat> take one application or one system and take it kind of the first step towards zero trust. So they're really focused on things that are, are, are practical and can deliver immediate value as opposed to you know, ivory tower abstract things. And this will affect users. So I guess I'm asking, who should be involved in the planning for zero trust? Is it strictly something that the chief information security officer and that, that whole channel deals with? Is it the CIO? But what about the business owners and the data owners throughout the government? <clears throat> Who's the team to do zero trust? Zero trust when done properly is definitely a cross-functional initiative. Um, I would say the good news around the executive order and these structures are that in many cases, the CISOs and security leaders and departments and agencies across the federal government um, have already been thinking about and working on zero trust. So none of them that I've talked to are surprised or caught flat-footed. In fact, they look at this and say, this is fantastic because now this comes to the top of my list and I'm being held accountable and I've got budget dollars that are coming to help me prioritize this. The, the way that well-run zero trust projects go is that the security team partners with application owners, uh, mission owners, and provides them with a platform and a way for them to conduct their business in, in uh, more quickly uh, and as a, side, as a side effect, a beneficial side effect more securely. In fact, the best security system are the one that the business just adopts and users just adopt and it doesn't get in their way and it gives them a very strong level of security. And when it's done properly, Zero Trust takes them down that pathway. Should users expect a change in the way they work, or is this ideally transparent to the end users? I think the answer is, is yes to both, right? It ideally is transparent. And Zero Trust is all about, remember, securing all access for all users to all resources. And the experience should be, I turn on my device, and I probably got to authenticate to something, and I just do my work. And maybe periodically I'll be prompted for multi-factor authentication. We want to get users away from the notion of, oh, I've got to sign into the VPN to do this. Oh, I have to sign out of the VPN because it conflicts with that. We just want it to be, I turn on my device and I can transparently get access to what I want to do. Now, having said that, there will be changes. Hopefully, there'll be beneficial changes that users will embrace. What might some of those be? Uh, probably better performance and hopefully the ability to um, have a better user experience in terms of just accessing resources more transparently. Because I wanted to ask you about performance, because the way it's described mm -hmm. is you have all of these challenges and response going on, and there's this application engine running in the background that controls all the access and the context. It sounds like that would really slow down things across a network, but you're saying performance can improve. From a, from a throughput and performance perspective, um, a zero-trust system should absolutely provide a better user experience than the VPN. And this is not just because VPNs tend to be fairly bandwidth-constrained and difficult to, um, to manage, but VPNs also perpetuate a single entry point onto the enterprise network. So if you think about what a traditional VPN looks like is, I'm sitting in my office or at home, I VPN onto the corporate network, and then I've got to access resources that might be spread across a large geographic area, and now my traffic has to go across some enterprise network backbone, which is probably pretty congested and probably has a large number of hops. In a zero-trust world, it says, we want to provide what's called a zero-trust policy enforcement point as close as possible to the resources that are being accessed. 
and we put the user at the center of the diagram. So now I have not one VPN connection to the enterprise network, but I might have four or five or eight connections, all of which are secure, of course, directly to the enforcement points that sit in front of my resources. So not only are those pipes faster, there's a lot fewer hops in between me and the resource that I'm accessing. And you mentioned a lot of publications that have come out, most notably NIST Special Publication 800-207. There's the DOD reference architecture, there's OMB strategy, CISA has things out now. From a federal employee, federal practitioner standpoint, do you see these things somehow blending into something actionable and that they're coming together in some coherent way? That's definitely happening. They're definitely gelling. I was really pleased to see in the latest documents, for example, that the core principles outlined in the maturity model are the same ones that are used inside the federal zero trust security strategy. I think there's still uh, a lot of work to be done in terms of refining this and building on it. And I think uh, we, we expect this integration and this alignment to grow. I also expect that because it's such a wide diversity of different agency architectures and agency missions, that we're going to see a really interesting kind of enumeration of different architectures and use cases. And I'm hoping that the government is able to continue being public about this and uh, issuing documents and circulating documents that talk about, well, you know, in this agency we did things this way and this is what we learned, and that one we did things this way and ran into this problem and this is how we solved it. And Jason, AppGate has clients both in the federal sector and in the private sector from what you can see across both, how harmonized is the federal approach with what you're seeing commercially? We've seen um, some enterprises take as you know, a similarly um, aggressive and forward-looking approach to zero trust that the federal government has. And um, especially in the larger enterprises, they've, they've seen a lot of benefits from moving along this journey towards zero trust and performing what they might call modern workplace transformation or a digital transformation um, and moving toward modern authentication and a much more dynamic user experience. You know, other enterprise customers might start with a much more focused set of use cases, whether it's replacing their VPN or assisting in cloud migration um, or using zero trust to help accelerate their DevOps initiatives. I would say that certainly the vision for zero trust from the federal government is very broad and very all-encompassing. Um, and we've seen, I would say, a significant minority of enterprises take, a, take that broad view, whereas the majority of enterprises are doing it a little bit more stepwise and a little bit more focused because they have a shorter term time horizon. And some organizations, especially federal agencies or more white collar oriented, if you will, have a somewhat higher percentage of people teleworking in the post pandemic era. I guess maybe it's not post yet, but a certain 10, 20, 30% steadily always working remotely versus just a handful in normal times. Has that affected the zero trust, the desire for it, and also the way you approach it, do you think? It really has, and I think that not just in both the private and public sectors, the, the COVID pandemic has dramatically accelerated the, the ability and the necessity for these organizations to work from home. And I, mean, I think, especially in the intelligence community or uh, um, in DOD, folks are working on classified information, how much of a, of a shift has happened in the last 18 months to support and enable remote work or alternate forms of working that were probably pretty unimaginable uh, pre-COVID. And from what you've seen, if you have a zero trust architecture in place and mechanism and something is blocked and alerts are generated, can the zero trust ecosystem itself almost be a, another source of early warning indicators of the threat environment? 
Yeah, it really can and really should be. And if you think about um, the principle of least privilege, which we believe should really in be enforced all the way down to the network level, states that if you don't have a need and explicitly granted access to a specific network resource, you know, whether it's a server or a service or a given port or protocol, you have no business, business accessing it because to doing so represents a security risk. So if your device begins trying to, for example, SSH to some system that you don't have access rights to, clearly that's anomaly and it should be anomaly and it should be followed up with some sort of investigation or quarantine or blocking of that device. All right, so I'm a federal agency and I want to get going with this. How should I get started? What do you do first? The, um, the good news is that the federal agency and the security leadership is hopefully already getting started. Um, we've seen organizations that are the most successful that can identify short-term projects that deliver benefit for the mission of the organization. And these are very often, uh, this is in fact a great opportunity for the security team to start to engage with colleagues across different departments and areas and to identify points of friction um, or blockers that perhaps security and IT is putting up from uh, an innovation perspective. So let's say some team says, you know what, we can't use this identity system anymore and we gotta move over to this one, but we have all these problems. Or another team might say, we really wanna start to move these applications and data up to the cloud, but the security team is, is blocking us because of this reason or that reason. Those are great opportunities for the Zero Trust team to say, okay, let's talk about how we can do this in a way that enables the business to, 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 uh, to advance while actually improving security at the same time. Security teams can also look at areas that are siloed today. One of the, the biggest benefits of Zero Trust is it lets you define a single unified policy model, regardless of whether a user is on-premises or remote, and regardless of what type of technology or of resource they're trying to access. So if you have siloed access control systems or security systems today, Zero Trust is really good at breaking down those barriers. So you should really spend some time initially on that unified policy because that's what's going to drive pretty much everything you do with respect to the technology rollout. Yes, exactly. And is this something, by the way, just a quick question before we close, are cloud services offered by the commercial cloud providers, can those be employed in your Zero Trust system since everybody's in the cloud now? They can and they have some real benefits to that, which is that because they're modern systems, they're, and because they're all software managed, by definition they all have APIs and they all have mechanisms for a zero trust system to very easily integrate with them, whether it's interrogating the attributes of the workload or actually driving configuration changes in those cloud environments. So those are terrific projects to get started with. All right, you've given us a great roadmap. Our guest today has been Jason Garbus, the Chief Product Officer for AppGate. I'm Tom Temin, you're listening to Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, please visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search AppGate. Thank you for listening to the discussion, What Zero Trust Means for the Federal Government, sponsored by AppGate on Federal News Network. With cyber warfare intensifying, Zero Trust is a federal mandate. Accelerate your mission with AppGate SDP, a Forrester 2021 Zero Trust Network Access New Wave Leader. Deliver secure, frictionless access for all users to multi-cloud, on-prem, IT, and OT resources. 
become undiscoverable to threat actors, halt lateral movement, and unify policy enforcement across hybrid federal ecosystems. Learn how AppGate delivers zero trust without disrupting operations at appgate.com federal.